Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 271 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have regular contributor writer, community activist, baker, and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell, with her segment entitled Kitty Bell Do Tell. We have a great conversation with Kitty Bell about an African-American who calls himself Wheelchair Man. We talk a little bit about This Is America, a la Childish Gambino. And uh, we go off into many directions from there. I think you'll enjoy our conversation this go-round with Kitty Bell. We also have an EW essay titled In and a poem titled Fragile, as well as an excerpt from an article written by Mohammed Syed for the BBC titled Wheelchair Man Turning Myself into a Superhero. And all of this, of course, as is always the case, will be infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 271 of Troubadours and Tours. Shadow of the man that I once knew Are 
As the American songbook wafts into the living room from the pantry, I shake off the chill from an early May rain shower and put away the groceries I've just purchased from this neighborhood's grocery store. The dog paces. Perhaps he needs a walk to get some relief. I would prefer a nap myself. The clouds blanket me with a sense of melancholia, but too... I feel the joy of being home so much earlier than usual. Soon I will pick up from school my progeny. I reluctantly realize that my children need me so very much. They look to me for guidance. It's hard to believe, knowing what I know about me, that I am a person they look to as a role model. What pressure and unearned stature Happiness is a warm plum in the south of France. As I struggle yet again with my sense of life as an interwoven scheme of task and circumstance, without someone caring about you and you caring about someone, then what a difficult array each day to choose from as a person navigates their way through the fray and various intersanctum. Punk rock of Iceland emanates from the second floor as two of my sons organize and put the laundry away. And I write this on top of these lines, working down the page from left to right, as the chaos textures into beautiful contentment. The sun breaks through, and illuminates this place, warm through the clear and stained glass windows. I will put this pen in my pocket and let all amidst in.
Hey, Kitty Bell, is that you? Yes. It's good to have you on the program yet again. Writer, community activist, baker, and candlestick maker. Kitty Bell, do tell, regular contributor. And uh, you have several things you'd like to get into today. Um, first of all, how's everything going? Good. I am almost done with the semester, <laughs> which is nice because I really need a, a rest. As, um, as student and as professor. Exactly. Yeah, yeah but I pulled it off. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Yeah, congratulations. Still not quite sure how, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, you did it. <laughs> that's all that matters, yeah. That's, that's it. You can figure it out later. Yes. But uh, I know we want to try to figure out a couple of things and give some analysis to a couple of interesting areas. Uh, here in our country. Uh, in particular, we want to talk about two, two individuals um, that have some artistic contributions and, and, uh, and also some interesting life uh, stories. 
I want to talk with you about the Afghani American uh, who wrote the comic book uh, based on his life experience called Wheelchair Man. Mm-hmm. Right? You you uh, you turned me on to this. I wasn't aware of it at all until you mentioned it, and I did a little research. Um, why is that uh, an interesting story to you? Well, number one, I love the idea of making yourself a superhero and identifying what is perceived to be your weakness, to be your strength. I guess that's a second idea. Um, (laughs) I, the story, um, Mohammed's story is amazing. Yes, his name is Mohammed Syed, right? Yes, I don't remember the last name. Yeah, Syed. Uh-huh. Um, and I like, I think the morning that that came on the radio that I was listening to, to him being interviewed, I was like feeling sorry for myself for about 30 seconds. <laughs> and that vanished immediately. Um, when you hear a story, I mean, he was... Uh, his mother had died and he was in a experience so traumatic he can't even talk about it still to this day. Left at the hospital at age six by his father, just left him there. So he grew up in the hospital. They just made a bed for him in the corner and that's where he lived. And so he didn't just lay in that bed. He developed businesses as a child. <laughs> he started fixing people's cell phones that, that were illiterate. So, so here he is, a, a young boy, but he, he can read, right? So that automatically gave him a, a power that these other people didn't have because they didn't get to go to school because there was this war going on. They didn't get to be educated. They, they weren't able to read. Then he started teaching American people how to speak Farsi, and he had, like, all these businesses going. He was wheeling and dealer. I think he calls himself a hustler at that time. And, you know, he eventually um, earned the affection of a, a woman who brought him back to America, I think, when he was around 14. And he had to go to school with girls and have female teachers, which was, like, really hard for him to adjust to. Um, but he did, and, and he had this way of looking at life that that you know that that is his superpower, you know. But to to create to go to eventually, I guess you know he goes to the uh, Boston Comic Con and says, "Why aren't any of these people in wheelchairs like me?" And creates himself. He he uses his own mythology, the story of his own life to create a superhero called Wheelchair Man. And I think it's just the first. He's He's got more that are going to come out. But they're all in wheelchairs, and why not, you know? Yeah. 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 I, 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 uh, I totally uh, get why you are compelled by this story. You know, as as you mentioned, he he, de- he dealt with, uh, well, his injury is because of a bombing. And, yeah. And uh, his father later on it came. He, uh, they he reconnected. The father reconnected with with him. And, oh, good. Uh, he asked his father, "Why did you leave me behind when I needed you so bad, badly?" He said, "Because there's no way I could have taken care of you. If I took you back to the house and tried to take care of you, you would have died. And I and given the state of you know this state of affairs." I had to do what I did, and now look at you, you're thriving in America. And, and mm-hmm. it seems Muhammad uh, understood that. But 
you know, uh, what a terrible set of events that he's, as you said, he's turned into something positive. And he is a superhero in that regard. Yeah, and he's also invented um, a tool, some kind of tool for the wheelchair that um, that's very practical that he knows from experience that other people need and can use. And um, I guess there were some sort of similar things on the market, but just way too expensive. And so he, you know, kind of got in there and made something that people could actually afford. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. That w- I, I saw that too. Uh, he, he, the, the, the stuff, the, I'm hearing my echo. Oh, it freaks me out. Oh, maybe I'll turn my volume down. Yeah. Sorry. I feel like I'm, I'm talking and then, then I'm, I'm in there with you and, oh boy. Uh, yeah, I'm reading the article right now. 15 years old is when, yeah, you're right that he was, he was brought over and the wheelchair thing, he said it was so expensive and they were complicated. So he came up with, Different uh, ways of making uh, it, uh, the, it a, a more enjoyable experience for someone in, an, in in a wheelchair. He's very intelligent, obviously, and what a fighter, right? Yeah. My God, uh, as you said, you felt you were feeling sorry for yourself that day when you heard the interview for a few moments until you heard his story. Yeah, and yeah, and it reminded me like that, you know that 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 our weaknesses can be reinterpreted. And um, it's something that I was talking to my, my students about, you know, we're talking about the, the last chapter of my art class is, you know, what is the future of art? And um, we're seeing more and more that differently abled people um, are really getting a voice, sort of demanding a voice, you know, and, and this inclusivity culture, I I think is expanding further and further. And it's, it's really great. Um, it's, it it makes me really happy (laughs) to see that, that, that we're getting to hear from everyone, you know, and, and not just the, um, what used to be the usual suspects. Well, what do you make of the whole, uh, you know, survival of the fittest motif that we have grabbed onto and used as a justification or a way to uh, understand the way things play out in the world? Well, what is what is fitness? Um, that that changes, you know. In the past, you know, it might have been a certain physical aggressiveness and um, strength or, you know, an ingenuity to be able to survive, you know, finding food or, you know, now it could be, you know, your ability to computer program. You see some of like the scrawny computer people and they're billionaires you know, where they wouldn't necessarily have been the ones that survived thousands of years ago. So, so what does it mean to be fit? Or a hundred years ago, or 50 years yeah. ago. Yeah, so what does it mean to be fit? Um, it changes. I, I think being able to adapt is probably really important. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Though there are still places where you have to have a certain sort of physicality to to be able to and, and power, uh, you know, I guess to be able to, to survive, uh, 
uh, it's still rough in many places in this world. You know, the way we're talking, it's an ideal situation where people are are looking at things and, and respecting justice and, and kindness and and uh, they're ethical and moral and they have the room to not be afraid maybe and to act aggressively. Uh, they're not acting aggressively because of fear. But in many places, that's not that ideal situation doesn't exist. People, mm-hmm. people are, you know, they're scurrying around and, and trying to just survive. And sometimes when that's the, the mentality, things get a little bit rough. Yeah, sure. You know, that, yeah. that brings me to the next topic, maybe. I don't know, it might be a good segue to talk about This Is America, Childish, mm-hmm. Childish Gambino's video that's causing an uproar. Yeah, yet again, you know, the future of art. I, I wish it that that had broke a week or two earlier because <laughs> I would have loved to talk about it in class. But, oh, well, next year, maybe. Yeah, what do you like about that video? This is America. Maybe we should give people some background on it. Okay. Do you want me to do that? Yeah, do you- <laughs> yeah, go. Yeah, go ahead. Sure. I, I don't know how much I've, I, I mean, I've watched it. I, I don't know how much I know about it. Um, Donald Glover, who's a junior, uh, has been making music as Childish Gambino for a while now. He, he's done a lot of acting, um, I guess, on shows that I haven't really watched. Community. Community. Yeah, yeah, that's the big one. Um, something else. He has his own show that he created, Atlanta, which I also have not watched. Heard great um, things although, about that, yeah. Yeah, now I'm now I've heard more, and now I'm intrigued. Um, it's amazing how one little thing can just open everything up. Um, so, but he, I know he hosted Saturday Night Live a week or so ago. I actually watched on demand because I wanted to see what they did with Stormy Daniels. <laughs> so yeah. I knew she was on the opening. But and I saw him on there and I was like, oh that's interesting. But I was tired and I turned it off and went to bed. So I didn't actually get as far to see the video. But then a couple days ago I woke up and like my Facebook feed was just covered with everybody I knew sharing it and talking about it. And that was almost more exciting to me than the actual video that people were talking about somebody who they referred to as an artist and who had created a work that had meaning that affected so many people and that, that everybody was jumping on board to interpret it, you know, in a way saying that this is what I'm seeing in this. This is what I noticed. This is what I think is going on here. And and that's one of the things that's so great about art is that there isn't just one answer. It's not, um, I mean, I, no offense to like mathematics, <laughs> but Watch there's it. multiple ways to, to look at it, you know, and, and that very space for, uh, that wiggle room is where people come together and have a conversation about something, um, that that makes me really excited. Well, the th- the thing that I think uh, what compels people when watching this is America the uh, this is America video by Childish Gambino is is the violence, um, the the numerous uh, shots. I guess that's the word. Literally, that uh, you see people, black people, being murdered. 
um, and uh, by the by by Gambino himself, uh, Mr. Glover. You know, you have a, 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 a an opening scene when the guitarist for for the song uh, he's shot and put bag over his head shot shot by by uh, Glover and then later on uh, a choir is singing a gospel choir African American gospel choir and he mows them down with looks like an AK something or other and mm-hmm. and he's talking about I think violence in America in particular violence against people of color mm-hmm. um, and, agreed yeah and it's it's pretty compelling it's pretty shocking and uh just in that way, and I haven't gotten any deeper than that. I watched it one time, and that's yeah. what, what, what jumped out at me. Right, right, and it does. But I mean, and that's you know juxtaposed with this, you know, dancing and um people in uniforms, which is interesting. Like there's these symbols can be when you think about them. Well, what does that mean? It, it means lots of things. Um, the very fact that like that caught my attention in the first place is here's like this shirtless man and no jewelry, no nothing, you know, nothing to show off like how I mean, in that in that sort of hip hop culture, there's the there's lots of clothes. Right. And there's lots of status stuff. He's got none of it. It's completely stripped. All you see is that skin, you know, and it's um and his movement is um, that much more clear because there's nothing in the way, you know? Right. And it seems like he's on the edge to me. It seems like he's depicting a person who's, uh-huh. who's on the edge. Yeah. Which Yeah, there's a lot of kind of tense, manic kind of... I mean, the, the fact that it doesn't stop moving, he doesn't stop, you know, like he's constantly moving. It says something. Um, yeah, it's. Um, but like, yeah, like I said, the, the work itself is, is is as great as everybody says it is. Sure. Um, and it, it's exciting that somebody could create some like, you know, we always talk about, oh, everything's been done and. You know, there's nothing new anymore. There's nothing to get excited about. And then something happens and everybody gets excited. <laughs> and then, um, and so that's, that's great too, because it, it inspires people to keep trying to, to make, you know, what might be their masterpiece. Um, and I, I assume he is one of our fellow citizens who is really upset and perplexed and is fed up with the, the uh, a deadly uh, approach to people who have a commonality with him with regard to skin color. You know, he's mm-hmm. sick of it. I, I'm, I'm pretty yeah. certain. And he's trying to say, what the hell is going on here? Right. And let's not forget it. I, You know, I know. Uh, and that to me, I mean, I'm a white guy, I think, in most people's eyes. And you're a white woman in most people's eyes. Uh, you know, we're we're fellow Americans with Mr. Glover, but we don't have to deal with the stuff that he's talking about here. And like he has to, it doesn't, yeah. I don't, I mean, it affects me because I, you know, it's, it's ugly and it's, 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 it's sad and it's, you know, it's unhealthy uh, to have that go on in your society, but it doesn't affect me like it does, like it would if I were a black man, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Trayvon Martin is a big part of this too, from what I understand. You know, right. uh, that young man who was gunned down by police officers. Right. Uh, so, you know, we often we focus on an issue, and then we move on. You know, to other things. We forget it for those of us who are in the majority. But people who, you know, are more directly linked in our society to things like violence gun violence, maybe abuse of power in certain areas of our society, they they don't just move on from it. It's not just a news story in the cycle. They That's their life. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it, it's traumatized. It's, it's trauma that becomes, you know, part of your being, um, which is yeah yeah it's it, it was it was really powerful i think for a lot of reasons and um it still is i guess that the, the reverence that they show the weapons you know the the casualness w- w- that it all happens it's kind of like boom no big deal you know and it's um yeah it's, I, i'm really a lot of a lot of good things happening yeah to focus on that issue via art is is a good thing because we can't overlook it. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're talking, ladies and gentlemen, by the way, in case you just tuned in, to our regular contributor Kitty Bell with her segment Kitty Bell Do Tell, and we're talking about uh, Donald Glover's, aka Childish Gambino's video. This oh. is America right now. And we're going to move on to something else. If uh, oh oh yeah, real quick, the one thing I forgot to say um, was that. I, w- I just thought of now is um, Amiri Baraka's Why is We Americans poem. So anybody who doesn't know that that wants to check it out, I-, I think it's interesting to bring it up in connection with the video. So, okay, we can move on now. What is it again? Uh, Amiri Baraka. Can you give he us has a, a, a famous us- piece called Why is We Americans. Can you spell the, la- the name? Amiri, A-M-I-R-I, I I think, Baraka, B-A-R-A-K-A. He used to be Leroy Jones back in the 50s. He wrote The Dutchman and then um, changed his name. Very influential in Newark. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that, Kitty Bell. Mm -hmm. The poet in you. Uh, So you wanted, do you want to go to... um the fact that another PA primary is is upon us and, and you, Kitty Bell, cannot vote in Pennsylvania? Yes. Well, and anybody who can should, obviously. But, um, yeah, I was just kind of reading about, like, when did this sort of – because there used to be all kinds of political parties, right, in the past? Yeah. I, I guess I don't know my American history as well as I should. But um, I was like, when did this happen that we kind of got stuck in this, you know, two-party – domination where nobody else can speaking of the inclusivity that nobody else can have a voice you know if you're not one or the other of these things you are listening to troubadours and rock on tours with ew conundrum demure on radio free brooklyn i i think it's been that way f- pretty much from the get-go i mean other parties exist but they have no they have no uh, they can't get any solid footing because yeah two major parties just control everything yeah there was an article in scholastic that i pulled up just now i guess that's uh for kids mostly but i was like grateful for the you know easy language and um 
they were saying how the founding fathers warned against parties. They didn't even want parties. Thomas Jefferson said something about how um, if he had to be part of a party, if he had to be, belong to a party in order to go to heaven, he didn't want to go. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's really interesting because everybody's forgotten that, that that was a thing, you know. But there used to be the Federalists and there were Whigs, you know. In in America, there 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 were the, the Progressive Party, um, so there were other parties at different points of time, and I guess you know it, it has been largely these two um, in control. And the one thing that this essay had said was that because they represent the majority of Americans, and but I wonder if they really do now, or if it's just a lack of choice like we have no choice but to be one or the other if we're not one or the other we can't vote in the primary so people don't become a member of third parties right you know? you're, you're a registered green right yes and and you can't vote in the primary in pennsylvania because of that only if you're a democrat or a republican can't right vote. and one of the reasons that i mean i am a registered green is just to, to protest <laughs> the fact that these two parties are way too similar and aren't being challenged enough to have any real needed change happen in the country because it's it, it's too easy for like they don't have to fear losing power. It might go to the other side, but then it'll come back. So it's just this tiny little space that they've carved out where they don't have to worry, and and that's not good for for the people. I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the the opposite extreme is having a, a setup like they do in Italy, where there are so many parties, and the way the the governmental system is is uh, designed, you you really can't rule, and no one's really getting anything done because you have to create coalitions, uh, which I you know sound nice, but they can't. No one can get anywhere uh, with with the arrangement of coalitions to get policies put put out there and, and embraced they just this gridlock forever it seems so that's the opposite extreme when there are too many parties and no mm -hmm. one, no one can really get any any uh, any any uh, traction with with change or policy ideas we we're the opposite extreme um uh in a way yeah i don't know it just would be nice to see people evaluate on, on their actual platform of ideas and you know, not this affiliation to this powerful entity that inherits wealth <laughs> from, you know, this system. And I mean, you see it like, uh, you know, with um, Jay Sweeney coming in, you know, trying to get these petitions signed and and, and the obstacles to even get to get to be on the ballot and. Like I go in to vote and they think that I'm not like even in the regular election where I am allowed to vote. You know, they're like, what's this G, GR, what is that? They think that, like, I'm not allowed to be there or something. And these are the, the people that volunteer at the poll places. And uh, that's terrible. Now, it is. It's, it's, it's just like, how did we get to this point where, where we're just in this tight box? It, it's, I think it's really crippling. Yeah, we don't know our system. You know, the people that are running it don't know it. Uh, they, you know, our president doesn't understand it, for God's sake. Uh, now you mentioned a Jay Sweeney. Who's that? Mm -hmm. 
He uh, he runs for, on the Green Party. Ah, uh, gotcha. See, I don't even know who's he. Green Party guy. I don't know. Never mm-hmm. heard. Of him. Yeah, he's one of our local Greens. He's um, run for uh, representative, state or, or Senate or, or something. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know. Federal, yeah, yeah. So, yeah I mean, he'll run for whatever he can, but it's hard just to even get on like the the, the a number of signatures you have to get and. And like the other people don't have to do that. If you're a Democrat or Republican and, and the, you know, you're, you go. And, um, I, yeah, it's just, I mean, we look at it and we're like, oh, this gerrymandering is terrible. And, but we're like letting all this happen somehow. Like we're by continuing to support these two parties and, and, you know, that way of doing things, we're not, we're not taking that that power away that these parties have made sure that they keep. Well, no one questions it. It's been this way for so long. It's just normal. You know, no one really questions it. They don't, they don't look at that. It can be any different. That's, that's, I think where the problem starts and perhaps we're a bit lazy. I think, you know, we are a bit lazy. We take all of this stuff for granted, all this freedom and this democratic system that we have in place. Uh, with its institutions and its plan, the Constitution, and you know, and all, we we take it for granted. We don't understand it. We don't know what exists really, uh, in in term in in any sort of uh, significant way. Do we understand it? I mean, and we, things just keep going, moving on, as long as we are able to to feed the old pie hole and to take care of our ego. Well, that was cynical. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true in a way, and you see that the people that are that aren't being represented are the ones that have had their voice taken away either because of, you know, being incarcerated for drug related offenses. So now they can't vote anymore. Disenfranchisement. Yes. Yeah. Or they can't get to the poll or, you know, they, they, they're not allowed to leave work to go vote or all the things that they do to keep, you know, the, the, the people who are, not being represented to, to, to keep them that way. It, I don't know. It's like, like how bad does it have to get? How bad are we going to have to make it get before, you know, well, it's people do something? It's pretty bad right now. Donald I know. Trump as president. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Maybe yeah. this will do yeah. it. So, so, you know, we, we, uh, we try to do this thing for healthcare. We try to do, make this deal with Iran and then the other party takes over and then they undo everything that the last administration done. So then we'll get rid of Trump and then they'll try to do new things and then they'll go back and they'll elect somebody else who just takes out a part again. And then we're just going to keep doing this for, I don't know. Well, yeah, the two dimensions, Democrat, Republican, as you said, you know, swinging back and forth the pendulum. Uh, you know, I hope you're wrong. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I hope it changes. I think you are yeah. right, but I hope it changes. Now, we only have a minute or so. You want to try to wrap it all up? I mean, we talked about the Afghani-American, our uh, Mohammed Sayed and, and his wheelchair man and his mm-hmm. story a little bit. We talked about Childish Gambino and his his uh, provocative video, uh, This is America. Uh, and we talked about voting in our two-party system. How do you want to wrap all that up? Wow. I, I guess, you know, this idea of, you know, what what is in my power today? You know, what what can I change? What what can I do um, differently maybe to 
be more aware to to not be ignorant you know to what can i do in my community right now to empower other people um be uh, you know a superhero in my in my own life <laughs> right be my own superhero what what can i do to to be that person and um yeah i guess that's all i have that's good i like it kitty bell so much uh, fun talking with you always enjoy uh the next few weeks maybe you have a little time to sit back and and rejuvenate and reflect on uh, this past semester given we're both academicians that's the way we look at the world and mm -hmm. uh, hopefully we see you out and about soon too yes take care of yourself thank you too thank you
An excerpt from an article written by Mohammed Sayed for the BBC News titled, Wheel Chairman, Turning Myself into a Superhero. I used to play with my father's AK-47, rocket launchers, and use mortar shells. We didn't have toys and every household had them. These made me feel powerful, and I used to brag that I was not scared of the bombs raining down on us. But eventually, one of those bombs fell on me. I lived in the Panjshir Valley with my mom, my dad, my two brothers, my sister, and my grandmother. My father was a commander with the Afghan National Army in charge of 300 soldiers. My mother died when I was between five and six years old. I don't know the exact year, but I think it was around 2002. Eleven days later, I was seriously injured. It was so traumatic that I don't really like to go into the details. My father took me to a hospital that day and never came back for me, so I had to take care of myself. For the first couple of weeks, all I could do was cry. But people in Afghanistan are very resilient. You face challenges, but you have to get up and move on, and that's what I did. After six months, my medical needs had all been seen to. I have a spinal cord injury, and I can't walk now. I'm in a wheelchair. But since I didn't have anywhere else to go, they gave me a bed in the corner of a ward where I lived with the other patients. That was my home. I had to pay for my food and clothes and take care of myself. So I started a little business repairing the cell phones of the employees, the cleaners, cooks, and guards at the hospital. Cell phones had just come to Afghanistan, and a lot of people there are illiterate because of the war they never went to school they couldn't even read in Farsi, and the phones were in English, so they would have simple problems with their phones. I would fix them, and they would give me a $2 or $3 tip, which was a lot of money. Then I figured out a way to make cell phones hold their charge for a day or two longer and started making money that way. I would also teach the foreigners in the hospital Farsi. We'd bond over time, and when they left Afghanistan, they would give me a good amount of money, perhaps $20 which was a lot of money in those days. Dr. William, the American doctor through whom I met my mom, left me $600, and there was another doctor who left me 600 euros. I was a hustler, and I was hitting the jackpot. The head of the hospital had a safe where the money was kept. Whenever I needed it, I would go to him, and he would give me what I needed. But my businesses were doing well, so I never used most of that money. When I came to the U.S., I actually brought $600 of savings with me. I lived in the hospital for seven years, and I went to school and had my little businesses repairing cell phones. But, unfortunately, in 2007, the hospital abruptly shut down. It became like a ghost town, and I was the only living soul in it. I had to figure out a way of taking care of myself again. One day I was sitting in the hospital, and one of the guards came to me and said there was a blue-eyed woman looking for me. I thought that was pretty strange. I'd never met a blue-eyed woman. So I came down, and there she was, Maria Pia Sanchez. She was a nurse, a friend of Dr. William, and very nice. Whenever she came to Afghanistan for work, she would come to visit me, and eventually she said she would like to give me a home in the United States. 
In 2009, at the age of 12, I came to the U.S. to receive medical treatment to straighten my spine. I had more than 12 operations. I lost so much blood. It wasn't good. I tell people that, that I have died three times and come back to life. One was when I had my accident. One was when my father left me. And the third time was when I had this surgery. But now I'm doing very well. My back is straight and thankfully I don't have pain anymore. But it was scary coming to the United States. It was like going to a new planet. Going to school with girls was very challenging because in Afghanistan, my teacher and classmates had all been male. I now had a female teacher and my principal was female. Eight of my classmates were girls and they would come to school in shorts. That's kind of considered being naked in Afghanistan. So it was hard to get used to it. It was a culture shock. And my teachers would get so mad when they talked to me because I would look down. That's very respectful in Afghanistan. They'd say, look me in the eye when I talk to you. There were a lot of cultural misunderstandings. It was emotionally hard for me, too, because I was feeling that I wasn't as smart as I'd been in Afghanistan. I was the top of my class there, but now I was new, and although I could speak and write English, my grammar and spelling were bad. I would feel really depressed that I was not good compared to all my classmates. But eventually I did learn and did very well. My mom took me to Boston Comic Con, where they have superheroes and all these different comic characters, Spider-Man, Iron Man, but no superheroes that represent the wheelchair community. I thought, this is the greatest country. How is it possible that they have no wheelchair superhero? Well, I wasn't going to wait for Marvel to do it. I want to celebrate the powers and abilities that wheelchair users have. So I started to create a superhero called Wheelchair Man, based on my own real-life story. Wheelchair Man is a teenager. He's an immigrant, and he's a Muslim. He's against hatred and wants to end violence and make this world a better place. One of his main superpowers is that he can make criminals see the consequence of a crime before they have even committed it. When I came to the U.S., my father started reaching out to me and I talked to him. He had remarried twice. Unfortunately, one of my brothers, Wakil, who had followed in my father's footsteps and joined the African National Army, was blown up by the Taliban two years ago. He bled to death on his way to the hospital. My father left the army after that happened. My other brother, Big, and my sister, Zara, are still with my father. I really want to go back there to meet Zara. She was very young and had just learned how to walk when I was hospitalized. Now she's about 15 years old. Every time I try to talk to her on the phone, she starts crying, and then I start crying. I asked my father why he left me. I said to him, You left me when I needed you the most. But he was realistic. He said, if I had taken you home, you wouldn't be alive today. We didn't have the resources to take care of you. You wouldn't have been able to go to school. And this opportunity to come to the U.S. would never have happened. I think he was right.
Fragile. Wheelchaired Afghan and Atlanta artist black man. This is America with all kinds of superheroes and villains, men and children and women, together in a species so fragile, so corrupt, so innocent, so stupid, so brilliant, so inexplicably interwoven. Sweet, sweet hallelujah a thirst, far-flung farfanugan immersed. and stones, passes out his moans and groans. The devil ain't no lazy bones, he works 24 hours a day. The devil ain't lazy, the devil ain't lazy. He likes to see us fight and fuss, he makes us mean enough to cuss, and then he blames it all on us, he works 24 hours a day. Travels like a lightning streak and strikes from town to town. Yes, yes. And if he gets you when you're weak, he'll tear your playhouse down. <laughs> the devil ain't lazy. No, sir. The devil ain't lazy. No, sir. Tells us he won't hurt a fly. Then he makes us steal and lie. Keeps us sinning till we die. He works 24 hours a day. Each night to give the folks an awful fright. I think he does it just for spite. He works 24 hours a day. The devil ain't lazy. No, the devil ain't lazy. No, he tells us how to find success. I know we'll wind up in distress. The devil is an awful mess. He works 24 hours a day. He likes to see things scorch and burn, so don't make no excuse. If he catches you, he'll turn you every way but loose. Yes. The devil ain't lazy. No, sirree. The devil ain't lazy. No, sirree. So when you think you're strong and brave, smart enough to not behave, then you've got one foot in the grave. He works 24 hours a day. And there you have it, episode 271 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our regular contributor, artist, community activist, baker and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell. I'd also like to thank cartoonist and superhero, Mohammed Sayed. I'd also like to thank these musical guests, Steely Dan, Childish Gambino, Nina Simone, The Who, 
Bob Willis and his Texas Playboys, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Terrence Blanchard, and Brantford Marsalis, too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>